0: Please open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 13. First Samuel chapter 13 we will continue our reading of this Old Testament historical book. Uh, this, this Lord say, will cover the entirety of the chapter. First uh, Samuel 13 functions as something of a cardiology report on King Saul. We're going to get a sense of where his heart is and how it's doing. And unfortunately for Saul, as well as for the people of Israel... This first test that we find in this chapter is a failure. We begin with the opening hints that something is not quite right as we read that both Saul and his son Jonathan are leading their own camp of Israelite soldiers. Saul with one group and Jonathan with another. And we read in verse 3 that it is Jonathan who conquers the garrison of the Philistines. And then in verse 4, Saul has spun the headline, as it were, to give himself the credit and what this shows us is that he is not merely concerned with the good of God's people he's not merely content with the destruction of God's enemies no what his primary concern is is the glory of his name he's like those who built the tower of Babel so long ago crying out let us make a name for ourselves." be that as it may that is not Saul's great failure in this chapter This great failure is found in the next paragraph. You see, the Philistines were not going to take their loss lying down. Far from it. No, they were going to charge headlong into battle against Israel and against her king. And in preparing for the battle, Saul had waited seven days, as was prescribed by the prophet Samuel, for the offering of the sacrifice. But on the seventh day, when Samuel had not yet arrived... Saul began to get nervous, and this nervousness was heightened even more by the fact that the the troops who were with him, who were at the camp, began to flee from him. This is not what you want as you're preparing to march into battle, your own army fleeing before you even get there. And so, rather than risking letting his platoon diminish any further, as we'll read, it got down to 600 men, Saul forces himself to offer the burnt offerings. And my friends, if it were not for bad luck, Saul would have none at all. Because as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. And Samuel had some rather stern words for the king of Israel. And remember, Samuel is speaking as the mouth of God. He is speaking on behalf of God. So this is God's rebuke to the king. You have done foolishly, and your kingdom will be taken from you because of that. Some may think, well, that sounds like a rather harsh punishment. And Matthew Henry comments that Saul would lose his kingdom for want of two or three hours of patience. And it is a sharp judgment. But it is so because of who Saul is. He is the king of God's people. And as such, he is setting an example. And rather than being faithful to God's very clear command in 1 Samuel 10 and verse 8, Samuel said, seven days you shall wait until I come to you. Rather than wait for Samuel to arrive, we're given the impression that as soon as dawn broke on the seventh day and Samuel was not there, he offered the sacrifice upon himself. He violated the commandment of God because of his fear of man. This is a sobering reminder that the obedience and godliness of those placed in covenantal authority has a direct impact on those over whom we are entrusted to care for. It's a sobering thought for parents and grandparents Our dedication to the scriptures has a direct impact on those raised in our homes. They need to see you reading your Bible. They need to see you praying to the Lord because that will have a direct impact on them. Saul modeled disobedience to the word of God. And as such, the Lord rejects him. And we'll see how this plays out, Lord willing, as we work through the subsequent chapters. But I want to notice this morning that when Samuel rebukes him, He says nothing. When Samuel walks away, he does not run after him saying, no, please, I repent, please give me guidance, give me instruction, show me a better way. No, he lets it happen. He lets him depart, symbolizing the instruction, the counsel of God's word departing from his people. Instead, we read in the closing verses that he takes what's left of his army and he marches them into battle. And they are completely helpless and hopeless. We're going to read in a moment that he's going to march them into battle with no artillery to speak of. They've got their own garden tools that they have makeshift into weapons, but they are not swords, they are not spears. So this cardiology report for the king has come in and it is not good. He is a king who does not serve after the manner of God's heart, but rather serves after his own desire for his own fame and his own fear of man. And this failure to seek the heart of the Lord will result in him marching the people of God into battle helpless and hopeless. But as Dale Ralph Davis points out, and as you'll see as we move through the following chapters and subsequent weeks, the total helplessness of God's people proves to be the backdrop for Yahweh's deliverance. Of course, we know that the great deliverance that the Lord would bring would come centuries later when the true king of God's people, the true prophet and the true priest would offer the needed sacrifice in perfect obedience to the will of God. That sacrifice that is needed for you and I to inherit eternal life. That is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, the great King. Well, with these thoughts in mind, let us give ear now to God's holy, inerrant, and life-giving word. 1 Samuel chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Saul lived for one year and then became king. And when he had reigned for two years over Israel, Saul chose three thousand men of Israel. Two thousand were with Saul in Mishmash and the the hill country of Bethel, and a thousand were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent home, every man to his tent. Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines that was at Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land saying, let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard it said that Saul had defeated the garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel had become a stench to the Philistines, and the people were called out to join Saul at Gilgal. And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops, like the sand on the seashore in multitude. They came up and encamped at Michmash to the east of beth When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring the burnt offering here to me, and the peace offering. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattering from me, and you did not come within the seven days appointed, and the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince. And Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal. The rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army. They went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people who were present with him, about 600 men. And Saul and Jonathan his son and the people who were present with them stayed in Gibeah of Benjamin. But the Philistines encamped at Michmash. And raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned toward Ophrah to the land of Shual. Another company turned toward Beth Haran. And another company turned toward the border that looks down on the valley of Zeboim toward the wilderness. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make for themselves swords or spears. But every one of the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen his plowshare, his mattock, his axe, or his sickle. And the charge was two-thirds of a shekel for a plowshare and for the mattocks, <coughs> and a third of a shekel for the sharpening the axes and for setting the goads. So on the day of battle, there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people with Saul and Jonathan, but Saul and Jonathan his son had them. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen.